Welcome back to the podcast. It's your host, John Scardina. I am so excited for this episode. I met Martin Killian back in... Actually, I technically met him in July, I believe, when he contacted us about the Dynamic Populations course. And uh, we found out uh, who he was a little bit there in Marshall County School District in Alabama. Since then, I would say our, our, our strong friendship has really blossomed, not just with my, myself, but the entire Readiness Lab team. Martin has just been an incredible influence for good at our dynamic population courses. He's been to multiple. We've met with him in his county. We've done all this kind of uh, cool stuff on the scenes, off the scenes kind of stuff. So uh, without any further ado, Martin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, John. Glad to be here. So uh, I am going to say this straight up. I need at least 10 idioms again from you. Martin Martin has an idiom for everything. So as we go through each of these topics, as he's talking about his passion of, of instructing students, he um, helps the students at the uh, high school level, which is really cool. But he's also um, a first responder and kind of in everything and uh, has been really pushing the needle on um, school preparedness. So just diving in for the sake of my audience, um, can you kind of give us a background of uh, why you're looking at dynamic populations and uh, relating that to your specific needs in emergency services. Absolutely. Uh, the end of July, I was contacted by my superintendent and the conversation just absolutely consisted of, we're not going to depend on anybody else to do what we need to do. I want it done, figure out who the best is, learn from them, get it done. And I said, Roger that. And, that started off, started off by just basically a search and finding your place and then actually having to Google dynamic populations and realize that 90% of that really plays into school systems, whether it's the everyday school, if it's a graduation football game, anything along those lines, it just really fit. So we took that and started trying to manipulate more of what you had taught into the school systems and realized that a lot of it was already there. It was not, we weren't reinventing the wheel. We were just taking what we had and, and plugging it in where it needed to be. Um, if I may, yeah. and I hope we'll get into it later. As uh, you said, one thing that um, I had never heard in an EM class before and probably my fault uh, that absolutely struck my superintendent like a bolt of lightning when he used the terminology of continuity of service because we were talking about the continuity of education. We understand that law enforcement aspects are gonna be the tip of the spear. They're gonna get in, throw hate at what they need to, get the problem resolved, however it needs to. But after that, then what? And her exact words to me were after that, then what? And I said, let's find out. Yeah, um, by the way, um, while I respect that uh, story quite a bit, that's already two idioms that you just shared. So uh, we're well on our way. We're well on our way to 10. Uh, <laughs> Martin, I like you so much. The Yeah, the, the idea of continuity of service is so important. And that can apply from the public sector to, through the, the school systems or a hospital. Whatever organization or whatever your sphere of influence, people often think of the flashy thing in front, whether that's tip of the spear stuff, but they don't often think about how the tip of the spear is going to impact the rest of everything else. And that snowball effect, if you get behind the snowball, you're never getting in front of it again. I think that's my first one. 
at least some analogy at least uh yeah hey here we go but um what's interesting to me is uh the funny story i want to get into and i want to make this a dynamic populations thing even though schools are dynamic populations absolutely so many different people coming in parents family relationships uh, spouses of teachers uh, where they live like all of that stuff is really complex but that being said um the, we get called out for our price sometime on dynamic populations we try to do a lot of stuff so it's kind of expensive can you can you share for our audience the story of when you saw the price and kind of the bet that you did i just think it's so funny can you can you share that with us uh, uh, nothing like getting thrown under the bus. Um, I hope my boss is watching, or maybe not. Uh, but I took a look at the price. It was one of those things that um, I'm sure all of us who who do this or, or some part of this at some point in time have absolutely tested your boss's metal. And she came in here and told me this is what she wanted. I looked for the best, and I found it, found your place, found the price. Um, I knew the price was stout. Now, yeah. when I say price is stout, off the educational side of it because Absolutely. for anybody we recognize it's expensive. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and she said, just absolutely handed me a PO and said, go for it. And never asked another question. And, uh, once I got to Atlanta and had talked to you a time or two and you really didn't tell me what to expect or what I needed. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> when, when I got to Atlanta and the night before the class had met people like, Oh, I don't know. Um, Colonel McKinney. Okay, this is a nice stuff guy. Um, Pete. And I thought, I like this Pete guy. He seems like a, without knowing that I walked into the room the next day, and this was Mr. Pete Gaynor, former director of FEMA, <laughs> and Colonel McKinney over the Seaburn response for the United States. Mm -hmm. And it was absolutely overwhelming. I, she called that night and said, What do you think? And I said, I'm in the wrong place. I promise you. <laughs> And, uh, but, but it worked, it, it really worked so well. Uh, but that was the, that was the story about the price. Real quick, we're gonna pause for this week's disaster tough endorsements. How do you spell Doberman Emergency Management? EOP, OEP, HVA, HMP, Thyra, TTX, Drone, PDA. Whenever you need an expert, Doberman Emergency Management field experts are there for support. Contact an expert at DobermanEMG.com today. The L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio solves problems and is specifically designed for emergency services. How do we know? We field tested it with medical, urban search and rescue, and collapse and confined structures. This radio is amazingly tough. Check out the L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio at l3harris.com right now. Instinct Ready Kits are awesome, compact, fully loaded, and easy to place around your office, school, campus, warehouse, wherever. I keep a quick pack in my vehicle and one at home. Imagine Instinct Ready fully loaded Stop the Bleed Kits in every school and office. Get Instinct Ready Kits and training at instinctready.com. Okay, let's jump back in. Yeah, I just loved, I remember when you you initially, uh, initially told me that, you're like, all right, let's see if she's actually going to back me up on this. And uh, she did, which is uh, to her credit, which is huge. You know, we definitely really address the price too much, but I think it's good to, for even us to call it on our side that we recognize it's expensive. But we wanted the absolute best training with the best people and the best everything. And to be able to do that, if we went through government, most likely they would do it to the, uh, you know, the lowest bid and all that stuff goes away. But we didn't want that. We didn't want to sacrifice any part of what we 
considered the best training literally across the industry. This is not just in the United States, across the industry, what it would be. And it made the price hefty. And we, we are looking at how to do that. But uh, I'm so grateful that, that you came and that Cindy backed you up on it because I, you came I back again. Yeah, it, you, you were like most people because most people who have been in emergency management or even emergency services, they've been through the death by PowerPoint training that's like super boring and um, it's really fun. By the end of day one, there is a look of, oh, no. And then by the, the end of day two, it's pure exhaustion. Like, I'm happy, but I'm like, this is so much to take in. And then the exercise starts. That is 100% by design. And we could make this a five-day training. Again, I don't want to make this all about that, but, but make the day shorter. But the whole idea is to like, when you're in a response, you're tired. So how do we how do we condense in a, a response that is supposed to be stress activated and push you to your limit? Uh, while we we put you in the room with the best people and actually test your limits, actually test your limits, and try to teach you something. So uh, to all that point, you were able to keep up so well with the class, and uh, we started doing stuff with Marshall County, and you brought uh, three people with you again for the next round, and um, it it adds so much value. And again, I'm just going to, yeah, yeah, please. I, I, I know we're going to get off top pop here in a second, but uh, just FYI, if you're watching this, listening or whatever, and you are that guy and you have to, and yes, I just did that. If you are that guy and, uh, and your bosses have told you, Hey, this is what we want. This is what we expect. At some point in time, get your boss. If you have to drag them by the collar to one of these trainings or a training of some sort, because I assure you, they have no clue as to what you're doing. So one of the most special moments for me was when Bill Hancock, uh, day one and day two, and even day three, he or yeah, day one, day two, and day three, he all he came up to me uh, with different comments. Day one, at the end of day one, right that that like oh no moment. I asked him, "What are you going to do now that you're trying to learn about this stuff in emergencies?" He doesn't have an emergency management background. He sits on the school board. And he said, all I know is I'm just going to, I got to work with Martin. So I was day one. He, he learned to trust his emergency manager check day two. Uh, he said, um, I now understand that if law enforcement officers, especially at the local level, write emergency plans, they no discredit to them. They're going to miss out so much of all the other stuff that needs to happen. And, I like that. I like that thought so much because so many schools rely on like the resource officers to write their plan, but without that like proper training to understand the continuity of operations, the reunification process, fire police, you know, not, not police, uh, fire EMS, humanitarian services, uh, mass communications. I can't even imagine going over to a firefighter and trying to make it out alive by after I tell them that a, that a police officer wrote the firefighter's response plan. <laughs> Could you imagine trying to get out of that alive exactly. and vice versa, right? It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, you need an emergency manager who can think strategically. And then at the, at the day three, when he was heading out um, to his credit, he goes, now I get it. Like I get that. There's so much stuff that like there's best practice. The, he said, uh, the part that like really got even almost emotional for me, he said, I used to be, think that if I heard a shooter was in one of my schools, 
that I was going to run in there and start saving all the kids' lives. I don't care about responders or anything else. I'm going to do that. He said, now I understand that I could actually hurt not only the kids, but the, the response because I'm an amateur and I need professionals to do their job. And even though the course is typically designed for people like you, like people who really know their stuff, and it's supposed to push you, even though you know your stuff, from an outside perspective, it was kind of cool to finally see like an outsider see some respect for what you're trying to do. And uh, kudos to you for, for bringing people to that. Getting back to like who you are, though, specifically, I want to kind of like back way up because you teach kids, uh, high school kids, fire, police and EMS tracks. And you have all this really cool stuff on there. Can you tell us about your specific professional background before you got into became an educator? Like, what did you actually do in emergency services? Uh, I was fortunate. Besides everything. I started out as a. uh, as an emergency medical technician and went from there and was fortunate enough to start my career. I lived here and drove to Birmingham uh, just because of the, it was a bigger place. I transferred back here, went to work for a police department and I've had an opportunity to, to do a lot. I had an old school captain tell me one time, he said, don't say no. So some of the stuff that I've gotten into was outside agencies visiting, needing help or needing a hand with something that I did. And I've kind of maintained that all the way throughout with um, law enforcement, um, even firefighting and EMS. I've already kept my EMS up because I really like the idea of being able to have that knowledge, use it, whatever needed to be done, even if you're in a patrol car. And uh, just everything else, it's just kind of parlayed into something else that that has really taken off and that's all i've done since i graduated high school a long time ago and uh, and it's worked really well the way i wound up here was dr wiggly called and told me that um, she said i understand you're the unicorn and i said yes which our terminology around here is a unicorn somebody's got all three and i said yes ma'am well come she said come give us a job description so I was giving her a job description on the, you know, this is what police do, fire, EMS. And she stopped me about halfway through it and offered me a job. And I will be honest with you, I laughed at her. Because I said, there's, I said, there's no way that I can handle these high school kids. I said, I'm just, I'm just not that. And she goes, Nash, I think you're a teacher and you just don't know it. And uh, so it worked out to where um, I had an opportunity to apply. And... Uh, and accepted the position and that's been 10 years ago. And uh, so it, it worked out really well. And the good thing about it was uh, the circle around us and things such as that is that uh, most um, everybody, especially in Marshall County, uh, we, we, we go and we assist our fire on promotion boards. We go and help uh, Gunnersville PD and, and things along those lines with just some things that was real easy because I knew those people to pick up the phone and say, Hey, this is what I'm teaching. And we would like to get the kids involved in some aspect of it. And I'll be honest with you. We've not had anybody tell us no yet. It's like, sure. Come on. Or they'll actually call us and go, Hey, we need hands. And you know, nothing that we're going to put anybody in any danger in with, with the students, but just, you know, a force multiplier for traffic. Uh, one of the big things is uh, our former EMA director, Anita McBurnett, uh, just a, a saint of a woman. I recently passed away. And when I started this, 
uh, her office area where she had everything stored because we know if you are in emergency management, you store stuff from back in the Civil War where you'll always have it. And uh, it was a mess. It needed to be fixed. And she called one day and said, why don't you bring the kids down here and let's turn them loose on it? So we did. I um, incorporated that into some of the instruction with the, you know, with the logistics part of it. Uh, lo and behold, is our uh, Swiftwater team got deployed the next weekend. And I had gotten with a couple of my students and their parents, with their parents' permission, and said, uh, said hey, what we want to do is let's set up a couple that if the balloon goes up on something like this, we can get them down to EMA. They can start loading trailers. They can start doing the paperwork and this to where when the team shows up, all they have to do is grab a scan badge and go. And um, I thought, let's give it a try. And I needed a call and said, hey, let's try it and work like a charm. The neatest thing about that was the next day in school is I had students that were, I have a no cell phone policy in my classroom. And I have students that were on their Chromebooks and they kept checking this, checking out. I said, what are you looking at? And one of them was like, we're checking the weather down there because we know where our team's at. And it helped them take ownership of it. And the number of parents that actually said, hey, we're great. They're doing a great thing about it, this, that, and the other. But by the way, what does EMA do? And, you know, when you get the kids look at it and go, what do you mean? What and got them to explaining it a little bit. It just It just seemed to work really well. That's awesome. You know, uh, Cindy was absolutely right. Um, you are a natural teacher. And um, honestly, you have, I, I don't know how to say this without like being over the top, but you probably have the highest level of respect from me and Zach and the other people who know you because of one moment. And that moment is when the students t uh, dress up like their teacher and a boy decided to dress up like you so much so that his sister what put foundation in his on his um, hair and some some other stuff and made it look like he had a bald spot like you do even. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. The that level of commitment and that boy obviously just loves you. I mean, all the students actually loved you. Like when we went in there, they all had such a level of respect for you, and your the way that you were interacting with them was was um, it was like it was like a. a Ooh, it was like a dog looking over his puppies. Huh? Is that a, is that pretty? Uh, it was, it was really special moment uh, to see that and to say, Hey, this guy has figured something out. He really, really cares about these kids and they are going to be exponentially better, better off because of it, because they're, they're looking at like a, you know, what I would consider a real man, right? Somebody who has high, high integrity, does things for the right reason and doesn't say no to good things. And uh, good for you to take that leap into education. Thank you. I want to talk about, yeah, specifically educating other people. We have a mantra or, or a mission, rather, to educate emergency managers, professionals. And we have a style to do that, to build that, that camaraderie in a short amount of time. You, you take students and you're starting to mold them into future professionals, right? Like, that's your outlook. Like, what is your approach in that process? And to people who are listening, who are working in volunteer groups or with CERT groups or even with children, whatever it may be, what is your per perspective of how they can build a strong program? Well, I won't say it's right. It's just it, it's just what I do. Um, is one of the first things I did was uh, year year one. I tried to hold everything, and and I've got and I've got, 
And you couldn't do that with this discipline right here. I have students all day and you're teaching three different things. And yes, they're all in the field, but you don't teach emergency medicine the same way you teach criminal law and procedure. So I had to find a way to kind of get some help in that. And I let, I run a true simulated workforce, uh, Oreo, one of the students you met is my second in command. And I figured out a way, <laughs> I figured out a way to, uh, to let the students take ownership of what they had. Now, but before we get any blowback from anybody, the, the student staff, they cannot affect a grade. They cannot manipulate anything that has to do with any type of AHSAAs or anything such as that with the hospital associations. However, if you've got a student that's not performing the way they should, anything else such as that, uh, their supervisor can basically come to me with a write-up that says, hey, John and Martin are goofing off in class. We need to separate them in the squads they're in, so forth and so on. And they can do that all the way up to and including a recommendation to be removed from the class that would get sent up the line. And uh, I have found that it's real easy because a lot of times teachers will just literally, I'm going to pull my hair out and I don't know what to say. And a true simulated workforce is when you have, it. it's a lot of peer work. You can have a high school senior look at another high school senior and say, hey, man, you need to pull your head out of whatever orifice you've got it stuck in and get squared away. And and it and it's they they take it more from them, and the way I do my uh, the way I do my promotions is I have an advisory council, and they have to send me a letter of intent. Hey, this is who I am, and I want to be a supervisor. And I go okay. Then I make them create their own design or whatever, and that's what goes on all paperwork. It goes in the envelopes and everything else to where John Scardina, who sits on my advisory council, comes up and says, Hey, the guy who drew the blue triangle is your second in command. This is your medics. This is this. And that way, nobody plays favorites. And you would really be surprised at the number of people that you would. We have, we've all been in those groups. You look at there and, okay, I want this one and I want this one and I want this one. Because they're the ones that are right there in your face as opposed to a lot of the quieter ones who have had an opportunity to go, let me put it down in black and white what I need to do and go from there. We did a governor's detail last week and one of my midday sergeants uh, backhand. Yes, sir. Uh, the, as she came here to do a, a groundbreaking for something going on, and my students handled the security part here on the campus for it. And uh, back backhand was she. She told me she goes, "Look, I want to be a supervisor." And when we finally got to talk, she said, "I'm really nervous about meeting new people." And I said, "Okay." So she's working the detail that day, and I put her at the front door meeting the governor's security team as they came in. And of course, she gave me a really bad look. And about the second one, she's face-to-face, handout, web-to-web, hi, this is who I am, so forth, so long, Lieutenant Kildon's waiting for you. And uh, when she left that day, she got here that morning and she was nervous, and when she left her that day, I said, what do you think? And she said, I had a great day. And I was like, all I needed to hear. You know what's absolutely incredible? As you're talking about that entire system, I have to remind my audience, because it might not be lost on them, you're talking about teenagers, you're talking about high school students who are taking ownership. You are a pretty humble guy, and you always deflect compliments, and I've noticed that. However, you're an absolute education genius because I have worked with students, and I love high school students. I, I like working with kids. I'm a Sunday school teacher you know, in another life, right? Um, and I like, I like that age group. 
but it's really, really hard for adults to identify with, gain the respect of, and keep that respect. And you have figured out so many clever ways to include them and give them ownership and treat them like adults. I, I always say that like kids can do so much more than and take so much more responsibility than what adults usually give them credit for. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, what's fantastic is you, even in your room, you have an org chart. So with everybody's code names on there, by the way, I have to ask in 10 years, do you have like a favorite name? Is it Oreo? Uh, is it... No, I guess if, uh, if I had to have a favorite name it was probably be my first one. And that was Hollywood. And, uh, she, she, she was, she was one of my, she was one of my supervisors and the news camera showed up to an interview on our program. And she was literally, I thought she was going to faint. And I looked at her and I said, I can't do it. They want a student. And she had the whole wishy-washy. And all of a sudden they turned the light on. And when they turned the light on, you thought she was on the red carpet. Just click. And there it was. And so far, knock on wood, is in 10 years of it, we've never repeated a nickname. And, and, and that's hard. I've had brothers and sisters that was waffles and pancakes. So, you know, we've, we, we try to keep something like that where it kind of keeps it alive. When they get to sign the wall, when they leave, is they make sure they put it up there and you'll see the tours with the eighth graders come through and go, there's waffles, or, you know, there's pancakes or, or whatever. So they really like that. Are you always Lieutenant or do you uh, change your name per, uh, per year? Do the students choose your name, for example? Uh, no. What we do is that is that my call sign is Cobalt and that has to do with my eye color. I got stuck that um, a million years ago. Now, what I do is like I let the seniors that are coming in with the, having the three blocks. For instance, this year, um, I have a Native American in my class who was a senior, and he was like, hey, why don't we use Native American tribal names for the three blocks? For instance, Apache, Cherokee, and Yuma. And and we take that and use it. So that's the only thing that changes. And um, when the only time that they would ever use cobalt on the radio or something if we're out actually doing something as opposed to it's lieutenant in class and of course a lot of them it's uh you know it's lieutenant we we try not to be formal but just like you saw they were if you'll remember when you were here there were a couple that kind of looked around like okay is this formal is this informal you know do i make fun of the bald spot and he's fat belly or not? yeah and uh and they, they do a really really good job of that so you have this a wonderful program, great approach. You're doing amazing things. Now you have been uh, honored, blessed as you will. I'm, I'm giving you the, the knight, knighted uh, sword there uh, with taking the responsibility to uh, run your school district and uh, crisis emergency crisis plan, emergency management perspective. You've been named the guy for a lot of obvious reasons. Not only do you know everybody, you are the force of gravity there. Um, and are well respected, but you get all the different roles, right? And so, as you're looking at um, from the school perspective, if emergency managers are working on campuses or for a school district, what do you believe are the priorities of organization and/or leadership that they should be focusing on? As I said earlier, and like I said, it's a lot of credit to what to what you said, and I'm not just blowing smoke because I had never really thought about it. Uh, when it comes to the school system, you're going to have the law enforcement, the SROs do it. And now, now don't get me wrong. We've got great SROs. Our sheriff's wonderful. And, and they're behind us 100%. But they have a job to do. And the job that they do has absolutely 
very little to do with what your job is as an educator, as an administrator, and as a system should something go wrong. Now, the reason being is this, is something's gone terribly wrong. We've got to go. We've got to have it happen. Here we are. And the law enforcement aspect is going to be absolutely so overwhelmed is that you can't expect an officer to respond and deal with a possible fatal situation and then turn around and take a classroom full of sixth graders and move them from one end of the campus to the other. Because by this time, he switched off his school role and he has his law enforcement role on. And with an after action on a shooting and things such as that, he's going to need to be there. He's going to need to administer any other assistance that could be happening. And then the law enforcement footprint is going to blow up. And they are concerned. They're, I'm not saying they're not concerned about the situation in general, but they have prosecutorial, prosecutorial things that they need to find. They need to secure their men. They need to make sure all the bad guys are gone make sure all the threat to those of us that are still here are gone. And for them to do that, you have your EMS that's going to come in and do that. They've got all that done right quick. And then it turns around to, okay, what are we going to do about class tomorrow morning? Because you have classrooms full of students. And I think a lot of people may have learned uh, not, not to cast light on anybody, but I think a lot of people learning and throwing their hands up and go, we're going to shut school down for six months is not the proper way to handle this stuff. So you work on you, you work on your memos of understanding with your other school systems. Uh, for instance, you saw our campus, you saw the office that I'm sitting in. Um, the buses were staged here that day because of training. Had we had something happen then, we had over half the buses in Marshall County sitting here. How are we going to get kids home? How are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? And it's just little things like that that is not the not the sheriff's responsibility, not the fire chief's responsibility, but it's the school systems. And um, just not blowing my horn, but hats off uh, to teachers, educators, principals, admin, because if you're on the outside looking in, you think, well, great, they work Monday through Friday to seven to three and half summer's off. And uh, until you realize everything that goes into it, and you need to find a specific person or persons, which we built our own um, instant command team, is because you can't handle, you couldn't imagine, you, you met several of our principals, we'll use Douglas High School, for instance. Uh, you have something handled there. Very, very good principal, very strong community. Somebody is going to be, if Mr. Scardina shows up to pick his child up because something has went bad wrong and we've got where we're going, uh, they expect to see him outside greeting kids, greeting parents. Hey, this is what happened. We're on top of it. So forth. He does not have the time to do everything else that needs to be done. Now that be the case. We pick up the phone. We call Asbury's principal. We call Brindley's principal or something said, Hey, we've had a problem at Douglas. They're dealing with what they need to on the local level to keep everybody calm. You know, and we, we got to understand these kids look for certain people. This is what they're looking for. They're looking for because he's out there every day. So let's bring somebody else in to where we're all into the same system. We've all got the same, you know, the secretary at school A can handle whatever happens at school B. Get all of that put together into a package that we hope and pray we never use. That's exactly right. 
We tell people in active shooter training, we hope it's the most useless, pointless training they'll ever need. But if they do have to rely on it, they'll be exponentially better off for it. And uh, I think it's just the reality that historically, resource officers or principals, uh, they thought, oh, you can be the PIO, you can be the continuity person, you can be the coordinator. They're a survivor, right? Like, especially the principal, like, if they survive, right? Like, they're in the Absolutely. mix with everybody else. You need somebody to be able to, to step outside, to show up on a scene, and not have that same emotional, like, these are my kids, but these are kids and say be able to get in front of a camera or to get in front of parents or to get in front of whoever just start that coordination piece a district ride uh you know uh perspective is always best i can't even tell you how many schools and school districts say well my are each of our schools have their own plan great what's your reunification plan how often have you told told parents about that when was the last time you talked to parents about anything related to this stuff and most importantly from a district perspective do you even actually know what to do when you show up at somebody else's school? And I, I think all those points, as soon as you start asking that, what typically happens, this happened two weeks ago to me, by the way, is I said that to two, uh, uh, two superintendents immediately. I saw them start taking notes. You know, they wanted to show face, save face in that meeting, but I knew that they, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And, um, the more we address it, the more we can move towards standards that, save and sustain life honestly um right. martin as as we're closing out here i didn't get as many idioms for, as you'd like to so i feel like a dog i look for a ball in the grass right now but uh so, the, yours, the proper know. term is that is that at this point in time your loss is a ball in high grass oh ball in high grass dang it uh but you well, know I'm if trying. you don't want to if you don't want to sit down and learn the proper southern terminology just whatever butters your biscuit <laughs> brother just whatever butters your biscuit <laughs> You know, I feel like I feel like a podcaster in a show. I don't know. We're, I don't know where I'm going with this. Uh, okay, uh, Martin, close us out here on a really high note. You're a great guy. You're obviously, obviously doing amazing things down there in Alabama, and uh, it's a real pleasure to uh, to know you and um, have this friendship. What is your final advice for emergency managers getting into the field? For you know those high school kids that they took an EMA job. What is your number one advice of how they can be successful in EMA? All right. When you and I talked yesterday, we ran into an issue trying to record this. So I made the comment of the only thing consistent about emergency management is its inconsistency. All right. If you're getting into this, if you're getting into this, take you a piece of paper somewhere and make you note, write it, stick it on the refrigerator. Now what? Now what? Because somebody somewhere is going to look at you. And understand that you have this drive, you have this want, you have this no, you may already have part of it. And they're going to look at you and say, now what? And then now what may be a phone call that now what may be in the hallway. It may be a text message at 3 a.m. Now what? As long as you set that, set yourself up with good people. You never stop learning and never be afraid not to say no. You know, sit down and have that conversations with Pete you know, and Chris who turned out to be somebody totally different and understand that set yourself up with people that want you to succeed. I mean, I've, and when it's talked this whole emergency manager thing and I'm not blown smoke because I'm on your, on your show, but I have a lot to that man sitting there because of the way he approached stuff. Uh, we left Atlanta. We had an actual shooter drill the next morning. 
uh, we left Atlanta and I called my cohort at Marshall County EMA Austin and he was meeting me at the drill. And I talked to him for over an hour and a half between Atlanta and the Alabama state line. I told him, said, I'll give you the rest of it when I get there. I get there and he goes, what else have you got to give me? And I told him, said, we got time. So set yourself up with that. If you're in the school system, um, it's, it's like eating an elephant. You have to do it one bite at a time, but start somewhere because you're going to be that person that they come to. If your system doesn't have one, go ask them, Hey, why do we not have one? And what can I do to be a part of it? We, as an educator, I know we've got way too much stuff on our plates already, but this is going to be the time to where things go terribly wrong. Your students are going to be looking for you. Your admins are going to be looking for you. They're going to be looking to you to help out. And it's, it's, it's just as, as true today as in anything is that when things like this come along, you have an opportunity. You can either be part of the solution or part of the problem. And you need to be the solution. My mic is physically attached, so I can't drop it for you, but I am dropping the mic for you in my mind. Uh, Lieutenant Cobalt Martin Killian. Well, yes. Can you say one more thing? Should should we teach him the secret handshake? I think we should teach him the secret sign at least. Yes, absolutely. All right, the, so we've the, determined the that sign. the secret sign that we're about to make very public. If you look at the symbol of emergency management created by the readiness lab, looks like this. You know, ninety percent of our people are going to have to like turn on the video now because uh, we have that. Yeah, but um, the next level. Yeah. Next, next level. level. I think best or nothing and best could be best for what your budget has. Best could be the best training. Best could be the best books. Best could be, you know, whatever, whatever it needs to be, but never, ever, 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 ever settle in emergency management. Our jobs matter. All phases of the disaster life cycle, everything you do uh, before the boom impacts if there's a boom and how long that boom lasts which impacts everything that happens after the boom. And the more that we look at that before, during, and after boom, stealing from a good friend, uh, Zach Boris, DM Weekly, you know, that, that matters. And uh, Martin, you've been in all phases of this, from education and training and, uh, oh my gosh, working governance details with students, how amazing of an opportunity that is for them, to being a responder and seeing that stuff and, and you know, seeing that aftermath. And so... What a great honor it is for us to have you, you on our show and to learn from you. Emergency managers need to learn more about the way you do things, and honestly, the field will be better for it. So thanks again for coming on. Anytime, John. I truly appreciate it. Okay, so for the audience, if you got something out of this episode, which you should have, I got to do the shameful you know, five-star and subscribe. Show us that you like it. Go on to Disaster Tough Podcast on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, even Twitter, no TikTok, screw TikTok. Uh, go on there and uh, say something good about um, this episode. If you found something in education or you have a question about education, ask the crowd. Martin's on social media. He can respond. Other emergency managers can respond. Let's start attacking um, the fluctuations of best practice. Let's determine what those are. Highest training, the best stuff for the best people uh, to save and sustain life. And we'll see you for the next one. 